That was probably our creepiest opening ever. Well, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the opening, <laughs> but it will be. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. I'm the Duchess. I'm the Duke. And we are here to talk about Patrick Rothfuss's Wise Man's Fear, book two of the King Killer Chronicles. That's right. We are in episode 17. We are going to talk about chapters... 44 through 52 of the wise man's fear. Dems a lot of chapters. It is. Can you handle it? I think we can get through it. Seeing as how I've already read them. I've already made the commitment. <laughs> All right. So let's talk quickly about our spoiler policy. Go for it. And the spoiler policy is very simply that we will remain spoiler free regarding anything after chapter 52. We'll talk about The Name of the Wind. We'll talk about Wise Man's Fear up through Chapter 52, but we won't talk about anything in the future, and we won't talk about anything from any other external sources, uh, Slow Regard of Silent Things or anything of that nature. Yes, that is our policy. It's always been our policy, and it always will be for now. All right, so last time, I'm going to give a quick summary of what we talked about last time, just to kind of frame us up. And last time in episode uh, 16 was after the incident with Ambrose, and Quoth goes out into town, he finds Denna's ring, gets it out of the jeweler, then he ends up running across Nina, uh, Nina from Traben, who provides him with a painting of what she saw on the side of the urn. We learn a little bit, learn a little bit of details about that. Quoth goes out drinking with the boys. They have a little bit of a story within a story time about an old man wandering from camp to camp and finding uh, finding welcome amongst the Edamaru. And then afterwards, we end up spending some time in the archives trying to hunt down information on the Amir. Quoth and Sims get kicked out of the archives for five days. And then um, after that, Quoth pays a, div- a visit to Devi to try and reconcile with her. And then also we get a letter from Denna stating that she has left town for goodsies. That sums it up really well. Thank you. I tried. Good job, the Duke. I appreciate that. (laughs) So in this section, as sort of a brief overview of the plot points we're going to talk about today, uh, Kvothe has a long trial. He finishes his project in the fishery. We have a long interlude in the present where we hear some new legends about Kvothe the Arcane and in the flashback, both is talked into finally taking a leave of absence and heads over to Vint. To Vint, to go see the King of Vint. Almost the, the King of. of Vint. Kind of the King of Vint. And that's that. So I've been waiting all week to ask you, are you so happy? Yes, I'm so happy. <laughs> I am so happy we're leaving Hogwarts. <laughs> so and I believe last time I predicted that we were going to end up leaving the university in the next in the next section of chapters. So you did. You get credit for that one. I feel vindicated every you once did. in a yeah. while. You got to you got to really champion the victories, you know, because they're few and far between. So so I'll take it. So yes, I'm very happy that we're finally leaving the university. Now we didn't really get to get into any of the stuff after leaving the university, but but that's okay because it gives me. 
just a little hope <laughs> that, you know, Hogwarts is, is through, at least for a little while. At least for a little while. So we'll jump into chapter 44, The Catch. And uh, in this one, we get it's a to... a great f- cure song, by the way. Is it? Oh, yeah. I'm not educated on that song. I'm pretty sure you've heard it, but... Probably would know it if I heard it. I think so. So anyway, in this chapter, uh, we finally get to see what Kvulf's mysterious project is that he's been working on in the fishery. And um, it's pretty darn cool. It's pretty cool. So what did you think of the arrow catch? I thought it was pretty awesome. I mean, and the way it was explained was was really groovy. I'm sure that's going to come back at some point. I don't know how or where, but but uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the inner workings of the catch, and I don't think that was just to show off how smart Quoth is, so pretty sure that'll come back at some point. Also kind of shows us what the hell he was doing with the crossbow and right. the bear trap that we and were the bear trap. that we were we were thinking about, and that all makes sense. So yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty cool device. I think the biggest and most telling thing about this is really what it says from a character standpoint that Quoth could have sold them for twenty five, thirty five talents. He wanted to sell them for eight because he wanted to make it affordable for everyday people. I absolutely loved that part. I absolutely loved it. So the catch. The the project that Kvothe has been working on, and that hasn't been made a big deal up to now in the books, but every now and then it would mention the project he's working on yeah. in the fishery. It's an automatically triggered kinetic opposition device. A kinetic opposition device, you know. Exactly. We all know what a that cod. is. <laughs> yes. You know, a cod. Exactly. So this uh, this arrow catch is basically a device that uses the um, the energy of the springs of a bear trap to oppose the energy of arrows coming at it. It uses sigildry mm-hmm. to um, form a sympathetic link between the arrows and the bear trap and is able to push arrows away from anything in its radius of protection. At least up to eight of them. Yes, up to eight. From eight different directions, mm-hmm. um, so obviously this is something. This is something that Kvothe would have loved to have uh, on the road with his family. Um, as someone who has a heart for people who are traveling, this would be a great device. And Kilvin is very impressed by it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I thought it was a pretty cool and pretty nifty thing to make. Um, one thing that really got me thinking. Um, is he so he's so Quoth comes he's showing this device to Kilvin he's all nervous about it and the one of the first things that Kilvin asks him is what do you call it yeah <laughs> yeah that's right and Quoth is like oh, I don't I don't really know um, an arrow cat uh, he doesn't have a good name no for he it. doesn't and Kilvin kind of calls him out you know he says I feel like a student of Elodin's should have had a better name that's exactly what he says to him mm-hmm. and. I found that very interesting this time through. So it got me thinking about the different magical systems of this universe and how, look. Oh, goodness, there's a chart. <laughs> it's more of a diagram. Ah, okay, well. You know, so look here. I see. On this axis, we see. We have, we have <laughs> axes. Okay. <laughs> this axis represents. Go on. The sleeping mind versus the waking mind. Oh, goodness. Okay, so we have four magical... It's a sy- continuum. Oh, God. We're getting into it now, you guys. It's a magical guys. continuum. I'm, so, I'm, I'm tingling right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. 
So we have four sort of... Is this going to make it on the website? Oh, sure. Why not? It's going to have to. It's going to have to. I'll take. I'll at least take a, a picture of it. <laughs> um, so we've got four schools in this sort of magical system in this universe. Okay. We've got naming, alchemy, sympathy, and artificing. Mm-hmm. So I found it very interesting that in the midst of this artificing project, Quoth is unable to come up with a good name. And so I'm assuming artificing is on the extreme, on the waking mind side, on the extreme end. And naming is obviously on the sleeping mind at the extreme end. Exactly. So I see where you're going with this. Exactly. You're very clever, Miss. Thank you. You're very clever, Liz. Thank you. Okay, so just to explain it a little more, because I'm, I just have tingly feelings from it. So the, if the waking mind represents the intellect, okay, and the sleeping mind is sort of your instinct, okay, and each of these schools of... Call it magic. Magic, okay, are somewhere on this continuum of whether they're dominated by the sleeping mind or the waking mind. So, yeah, I would put naming is all the way over to where I have it on the left, it's pure instinct. There's very little use for the waking mind. And in fact, the waking mind actually kind of inhibits your ability to um, participate in naming. I have a little quote that goes with each one as well, but I won't read that on the podcast. I'll just, that won't translate well. I'll put it on the website. Well, that's bonus content. Bonus content. For the people who go to the website. So yes, artificing is really, when you think about it, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. it's um relies on rote memorization you have to memorize all these runes meticulous calculations a lot of tedious physical work Mm -hmm. so there's almost no instinct involved and then sympathy i would put sort of more towards the right but in the middle it's kind of a blend of intellect and instinct Mm -hmm. yeah alchemy we don't know that much about except that both doesn't know anything about it well and simmons simmons does and it's. I think it's fair to say it's probably a little left of sympathy. That's where I put it, because it deals with unbound principles, which is sort of like, the way I see it, as it's described in the books, is alchemy is like the opposite of physics. Mm, so wow. it's things reacting in ways that you can't predict or wouldn't expect. Well, yeah, that's definitely what we see. I mean, what little bit we know about it, that that is what we know. Right. So anyway, this is my continuum. There are many In like it, but this continuum is mine. Is mine, indeed. So anyway, it just really clicked for me, and I thought it was so interesting that in the middle of this artificing project, that he's unable to even come up with a catchy name. Yeah, you're right. He can't get his brain out of the waking mind to come up with anything. Right. So another another thing that kind of... Did you know that there are people in the real world whose actual job is to name things? I didn't know that. They're they're not as powerful as they would be in this novel. I would guess not. It's true, but it's true. I'm crap at naming things. <laughs> you named this podcast. I did not name this podcast. You named this podcast. Oh, okay. Well, it's a good name. Go I was on. surprised. <laughs> I was no. really surprised you came up with a good name. <laughs> Only because I'm surprised when people come up with good names for things. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Don't you remember that time I tried to give myself a nickname? I, I do. do you I wanna, wanted one so bad. Do you want to tell everybody what your nickname was? You can tell them. Well, I, we have to now. 
<laughs> I just always wanted a cool nickname. Come In on, high Flash. School, my, oh, God. <laughs> Your nickname was Flash. To be fair, I really didn't catch on. No, it didn't. I think you were the only one who gamely called me that. <laughs> <laughs> so there are only two Flashes in pop culture. Do you know who they are? Obviously, there's the superhero Flash. Which, and Flash Gordon. Okay, three. All right. And then there's the the Dukes of Hazard, which if you grew up like me in Georgia, you watched a lot of the Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane, mm-hmm. the, the uh, police officer who was always giving the Duke boys trouble. Mm-hmm. His basset hound was nicknamed Flash. <laughs> and he'd say, come on, Flash, we're going to get them Duke boys. <laughs> come on, Flash. I'm so humiliated right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd go somewhere, I'd say, come on, Flash. Let's go. <laughs> I just got that. That's awesome. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> so, Yeah. You know what? I couldn't even get my mother to call me Flash, so no. I still appreciate that you went along with it for a little bit. <laughs> even your mother, who is the sweetest person in the world, is like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I can't. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we talk about the book again? Yeah, let's get back. <laughs> so let's talk about Quill's morality. Let's talk about it. Um. Okay, so there's a really good quote in this chapter that pertains to this. Um, And Kilvin is talking to him about, he's kind of grilling him on how he gets the crossbow. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And he says first, and he's referring to when he made the thieves lamp. Yeah. He said, first, you made a bad thing in a good way. This time, you have made a good thing in a bad way. That is better, but not entirely. Better to make a good thing in a good way. So it just kind of highlights, again, Quill's unique sort of sense of morality. Yeah. You know, um, and it highlights it even more that in the midst of this getting a lecture on morality, Quill just boldface lies to Kilvin. Oh, yeah. And, and says, you know, he, he puts on a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He put he makes his face as though he, oh, I can't think of the word. Um, so apparently I'm not great at naming. He makes his face as though he's remorseful when he's not. Right. And when Ki- when Kilvin also asks him about the gold and silver that he took yeah. to make his gram, he very smoothly, in the middle of this lecture on, on honesty and integrity, in the middle of it, he just very smoothly says, well, you know, I needed uh, materials for this arrow catch. It's exactly what I needed it for and yep. nothing else, you know? Yep. And like doesn't even like... Doesn't bat an eye. Doesn't bat an eye. But you know what? It was for the greater good. I'm yes. Did I steal Sorry. your line? Did I steal you your didn't. observation? You didn't. That was just so good right there. I was like wordless for a minute. But you see my hand gestures. I do. I'm pointing at you very emphatically <laughs> because I'm like yes because we're gonna get into the Amir a little bit later. Yeah, there's a greater good is becoming. More and more of an important topic. And to be honest with you, it wasn't until that second when you brought it up that I really put together all these past incidents we've had with Quoth where we talk about his sort of shady morality 
where he does have a moral compass. He's willing to do wrong to do right. He's willing to do something wrong for the greater good. And I hadn't really connected that to the concept of the greater good as it pertained to the Amir and how that ended up in them committing horrid atrocities. Right. And that's something that was, that concept was sort of introduced in the last section we read when Quoth um, shushes the, the kind of shuts down the yeah. loud talkers in mm-hmm. the tomes yeah. as they're talking about the Amir and gets himself booted. Yep. And Sim says, you know, I kind of imagine that's what the Amir were like. You just and he was telling Kvothe that he that he admires him because when Kvothe sees something wrong, he just reacts, yep. just does something about it. And there's a place in the world for realpolitik. Nice, nice. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so it, I don't know. It just it's interesting to me to sort of examine like where do we think, where do we see Kvothe's morality develop into what it is? You know, some of that tendency was there in his childhood i think some of that very inherent sense of rightness well i think it definitely could be a cultural thing with having grown up in a um i'm really at a loss for words tonight i'm not not using my sleeping mind sufficiently um this roving sort of nomadic nomadic lifestyle yes absolutely and and definitely i think the edamaru learned to fit in with Whatever the law is, whatever the, the culture is, where they're at, that's what they blend into. Yeah. And so I, that's certainly part I of it. I imagine everywhere they go, it's a different set of laws and a different set of what is right and a different set of what is wrong. And so it would make sense that you would have a somewhat slippery sense of right and wrong. I imagine so. Although we, we saw his inherent sense of not harming things, not harming creatures mm-hmm. way back in his childhood when he's riding in the wagon with Ben and Ben says, why would you bring, how would you bring that bird down? And he says, I wouldn't, it's done nothing to me. Yeah. And even after Ben's like, well, say you had, you know, he said, well, I still wouldn't. Why would I do that? That's, you know, he can't even fathom doing something cruel and malicious well, he had a for hard, the sake of it. Yeah. He had a hard time killing rabbits even when he was starving. Indeed. And, and you know, when he's on the plumb bob and Simmons asks him, wouldn't you ravage Fela? Wouldn't you ravage Fela? He said, no, it would be like eating a stone. You just can't do that. So he's got this, this strong moral compass, but it doesn't always jive with the moral compass of society or whatever's around him. And I just wonder how much I would love to do a think piece on the effects of living in poverty and how that may have changed his moral compass. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's, well, all our spare time, I think we should definitely, (laughs) definitely do that. You guys will see it in like 10 years. You've got, (laughs) listen, we've got four staff writers, you know, I mean, you know, some of the B's might be backwards and, you know, the K's might look like ours. But no, I think this is just a, I think it's a deliberate commentary on Patrick Rothfuss's part, possibly. I don't know. Now I'm trying to read his mind. But to me, it's kind of a commentary on how living in poverty does affect your moral compass. Absolutely. And um, just how that contributes to someone's character development. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't have the luxury of always playing things by the book, always doing what other people see as the right thing just to keep himself out of trouble. Well, not only that, but I think you have less opportunities, so you have to take more risks. 
Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So chapter 45? Yes, indeedy. It's called consortation. That's one way to phrase it. So in this chapter, Quoth finally gets brought up on the iron law, against the iron law. The iron law. Yeah, <laughs> break out your power cores. <laughs> so this is a this is a phrase we've heard bandied about. Oh, I don't want to get brought up on the iron law. Yeah. So now we get to see what what that is about. Well, and it was sort of reminiscent, um, although it's not exactly the same thing. But it's sort of reminiscent of when Scarpy was in the inn telling stories, and they yes. came in and they drug him out and roughed him up. Now, not the same thing. But it, it kind of reminds you of that. It does. I think the difference is that Scarpy seemed to have been detained by the, the church. Ta- yeah, it was the Talon priests. Yeah. And um, this is the Iron Law. I, th- I see as as being somewhat separate. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And we see that Quoth is he's uh, collected by some very high up officials. Yeah, they didn't send like they didn't send Roscoe P. Coltrane, the local sheriff. They did not. You know, with his flash. Let's go Come get on, him, boy. Flash. <laughs> didn't send him down there. No, they they went way up the chain of command and they got Boss Hogg. And they took Boss Hogg and they <laughs> brought him down to anchors. Yes, they did. You in a heap of trouble, boy. <laughs> You think Uncle Jesse will be able to come bail him out? Uh-huh. It, it might not be clear. I watched a lot of the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Guys like Dukes of Hazard impersonations. Uh, poor ones, even. <laughs> so I, I, what one thing that jumped out to me in this? So Quoth gets brought up on the Iron Law, and um, it's it becomes evident that Ambrose is sort of behind this, yeah, because he's getting brought up for the incident in which he, uh kind of put Called the, smack the name down of the wind. On him. That's right. you know, he's he's in trouble for consortation with demons. Right. You know, and that's the evidence they're using is that he called unnatural forces, you know. Right. So some what jumped out at me in this chapter is in the beginning, you know, it kind of starts off with him talking about how great life is. And um he says, you know, at the end of the last chapter, one of the last things he says was, you know, he had been given this money by Kilvin and he says a heavy purse makes for a light heart. And um, in the beginning of this, he's he's saying, for the first time that I could remember, I actually felt like I had some control over my life. <laughs> he should have knocked on wood because dun dun dun. Here they come in. They slap him in iron. Should have touched iron. Should have dragged been t- him off. Yeah, they sure did. The only the only thing of note there that I that I noticed was when they come in, they ask for Quoth Arladin's son, which I thought was interesting because. I, d- I mean, I don't know. May- it seemed to me, does Ambrose know that he's Arladin's son? Is that something that happens all the time? Do they, you know, when they're... It just seems strange to me that they would know his father's name. Well, if you remember, when he enrolled in the university, it was as Quoth Arladin's son. True, but Ambrose wasn't there at the time. Well, no, but that would be like... Is that just a common thing that get like... Every time he his name gets called in any kind of large thing, it's like Quoth Arlet and Son. You know? I, I think that would be like the equivalent of saying his first, last, and middle name. Okay, yeah, yeah, it, it could be. I just found that was a little strange. I'm like, who except for the Masters knows that he's Arlet and Son? No, I mean, I think that that's just his sort of uh, official, formal name. Gotcha. I, I will give you fair warning. 
the further we get into these books, the more and more tinfoil and just paranoid I'm getting. I love it. <laughs> Bring it on. Uh, you know, I mean, we're going to move to a cabin in Montana. <laughs> we're going to draft a lot of angry letters to the local newspaper. Elodin can see you naked. <laughs> I'm going to start wearing tinfoil boxers. I'm very uncomfortable for sitting. So uh, Pork Wolf gets slapped in irons, dragged on foot to Imre. And um, I thought it was interesting how he like describes this brutal scene of being arrested and the cold wind biting his flesh and it's so terrible. And then he kind of like flips a switch and says, oh, the whole thing was a source of extraordinary irritation and anxiety to me. Yeah. Like they just kind of like brushes over it. So like very kind of um, blase. Kind of a letdown. You're like, you're gearing up for this, like, kind of emotional story. And then he's like, yeah. oh, it's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later because something somewhat similar happens at the end of this section. Right. So the next chapter, if you're ready, mm-hmm. um, is chapter 46. It's called A Bit of Fiddle. It's an interlude. So now we jump back to the present. Yeah, and we have, um, I'm going to bring this up briefly, mm-hmm. even though it's jumping ahead slightly. We have two interlude chapters in a row. Right. And short of the beginning and end of, of each of the last books, we haven't had that. So it's sort of rare to have a double interlude in the middle of a book. We haven't had that for a while. Right. So it kind of shows that there's probably something kind of important going on. Yeah. And so what happens? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nope, so nope. essentially what happens in this interlude is that Chronicler gets quite tweaked with Quoth because Quoth doesn't really want to give him the details of the trial. He just wants to gloss over it. He says there are other records out there if you want to read them. And Chronicler is just flabbergasted. So it's kind of like imagine you're finally sitting face to face with Luke Skywalker and he's telling you the story of his life in like excruciating detail and he gets right up to the part where he's about to blow up the death star and he goes oh then there was this death star and i blew it up it was kind of boring move on move on (laughs) what What the hell but isn't that no so that's how chronicler's feeling right now so the story of quill's trial at imray was the, one of the first stories that Chronicler ever heard. So he's been kind of waiting for like, oh, this, he's getting to the good part. Well, he's getting he, to the good part. Yeah, and he's it's one of the, the good part. It's one of the bigger stories, especially if you're somebody like Chronicler, who is you know who is amazed by more of you know the academic and the intellectual achievements of Quoth. And it's also a famous story, and Quoth just kind of lets it run. But I imagine f- from Quoth's perspective because it is one of the more common stories that's out there. It's probably, you know, it's one that he's just kind of tired and sick of and doesn't really want to relive that whole thing. Indeed. And it seems like it's also doesn't touch on the main arc. Yes. Yeah, so the main story of his life. It's kind of yeah. just something that he did. So why dwell on it? I also, I thought it was interesting that um, at one point, I have it on page 333 in my book. But at one point, um, Quoth says, you know, I've probably kept us at the university too long anyway. And I just thought of you. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that. Yes, you have. (laughs) 
So I also love, for me, these two interludes are kind of bookended by something. So I'll, it, in the beginning, it opens up with Quoth very deftly manipulating Bast into making the stew. Yeah. You know, he asks him to make the stew and Bast doesn't want to. And so Quoth goes and gets a nice pile of beets, which he knows Bast hates, and starts cutting them up. And Bast is like, oh, I hate beets. And he says, well, I, you know, beets are good for you. You should... We should put them in. And Bass says, never mind, I'll make this do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Quoth looks over at Chronicler and just kind of smiles. Mm-hmm. So just kind of very deftly. So we see like a glimpse, like the old Quoth is still there. Absolutely, yeah. And then people come to the bar and it goes right back into saying, Bast and the man who called himself Coat get the cheese, they get the apples, they bring out yeah. pie. They, you know, he's, he's right back into Innkeeper. And in all of that kind of um bu- hustle and bustle old Cobb comes in and just starts chatting and uh saying you know you've got a really nice in here and this is great and you're a great cook and you should just really think about getting a musician in here yeah <laughs> you know people would come in and i love this line where uh quote just looks at him and it says his expression was so easy and amicable it almost wasn't an expression at all <laughs> so he just like he, you could tell that he is affected very profoundly by that suggestion. And Bast right away just pounds on the bar and goes, who wants a drink? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good good Bast, yeah. It's just all very, I just love that like subtle interaction. Well, and there's a l- couple subtle interactions because I did not pick up the first time that when Quoth goes back into the kitchen, Chronicler starts prompting old Cobb to tell stories about quoth at during his trial well and that is in the next chapter chapter 47 okay gotcha. so that's called the hempen verse mm, yeah so he prompts him to start telling these stories as a way of trying to kind of manipulate him into maybe correcting old Cobb mm-hmm. or just revealing some sort of details it was sort of a you know sort of taking a wild swing a haymaker and seeing if he could you know, get something to happen here. And I I didn't quite pick up on that at first, but I got it later. Right. And it's interesting to contrast Quoth's manipulation of Bast, which is incredibly deft and subtle. Yep. So Bast does not even realize he's being manipulated. Yep. We only know because Quoth kind of smiles after he leaves. And then you have Chronicler's attempted manipulation of Quoth. Which Quoth sees right through which is uh, the trick he used in the very beginning to even get Quoth to tell the story so he's yeah. like well let me just play this one out and he's smirking broadly the whole time mm-hmm. i mean it's all just very uh, you know he's just looking at Quoth yeah. and smiling and being like oh aren't you glad we're hearing this story don't you remember we wanted to hear this again well and i guess that's a testament to how much Quoth is waking up inside of coat because when chronicler first shows up on the scene and shows up at the end he walks in and within an hour he's got him telling a story because he manipulates him and he manipulates him very in a very obtuse way like it's it was very heavy-handed and quote just or coat just fell for it hook line and sinker so you know i think perhaps this shows maybe there's a little bit more awakening up inside of him whereas coat just sort of fell for it Right, that's a that's a really good observation. Um, so let's get into the story a little bit, that because we now get to hear a little bit uh, of the story of the trial from Old Cobb, at least his version of it. But I imagine there's probably some truth into this. 
because Patrick Rothfuss is taking the time to write it down. Well, I think, I mean, I think what we we know because it comes from, it's in multiple sources, is that he learned to speak old Tima, or Tama, however you pronounce it, in two days and was able to represent himself at, at the trial. And apparently, you know, Silver Tongue that he has was able to talk his way out of it. That's really kind of all we know. So um, what I picked up on this time through was the title, The Hemp and Verse. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like when he actually did, and, and and I think we can probably trust this old Cobb story because uh, as Quoth says it there are multiple written accounts mm-hmm. and probably this story is more reliable than other stories about Quoth you would think to some extent so what old Cobb says is that there's a verse in old Tima that if you speak it gives you the right to have your case heard by the church and not the secular court mm-hmm. and that Quoth spoke it and thus had his case moved out of the secular court and into the church court which if he did that was a brilliant move yeah to save his own neck yeah because he was able to get his so he was in this secular court that i am sure was stocked with ambrose's cronies yeah good point i hadn't thought about that yeah and was able to get it moved to the church court where ambrose probably didn't have as much sway that's a good point i hadn't thought about that you know if if there's a jury you can bet that ambrose had already stacked the deck Right, and Quoth said he was pretty aware that Ambrose, of course, all of the nobles who were bringing these charges against him, you know, they all know Ambrose. Mm -hmm. They can't be directly tied to him, but he is sure that Ambrose was behind all of them taking these actions. Everybody knows that. Yeah. So if he had stood court amongst them, you know, he probably could have had some very serious consequences. He probably would have been hung. He probably would have been hanged. Yeah, absolutely. And so by knowing this hemp and verse or whatever, there's some trick that he learned to be yeah, able yeah. to be heard by the church instead of the courts. Then he was able to then manipulate that by learning Tima and apparently speaking eloquently in, you know, what's the equivalent in our world, I guess would Old be Latin. Latin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's able to learn this in, in a very short amount of time, speak an eloquent defense in this, in this dead language and get himself off what we think is scot-free, but doesn't mean it's consequence-free. Correct, yeah. I, I hadn't picked up on the idea of the hemp and verse and how much that you know may have, or, or rather the f- fact, and I'll call it a fact because now that you say it, it seems obvious that Ambrose would have stacked that secular court against him. So I hadn't picked up on that, so that's a good observation that you make there because I don't you. think I would have picked up. So, um, so we hear this from Old Cobb. And, um, and Quoth is, I mean, Cote, Quoth, Cote slash Quoth is just getting steamed. He's just listening and just getting madder and badder and chroniclers smirking at him. And, uh, Quoth is able though to give him a taste of his own medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, he starts making up a story. He says, you know, I like the stories about, you know, Taverlin the Great and this other wizard and the chronicler. And they're like, who? The chronicler, you know, and he starts making up this story. (laughs) That guy. That guy, you know, that the guy with the pants. Oh, he was always my favorite one, you know. <laughs> and he starts making up the story. Bass jumps right in because mm-hmm. he realizes what's going on, you know, clever boy that he is, you know. And so they kind of spin it. And then when everybody leaves, Chronicler was like, "What the hell is that? There's no the Chronicler." And then, you know, Quoth sort of explains him, "Hey, doesn't feel good, does it, to be manipulated? Oh, and by the way, this story is going to catch on like wildfire." 
and the legend of the Chronicler is going to grow. So you're welcomed. And I loved some of the details that Quoth and Bass kind of threw out there, especially the ones that had to do with words and names. You the know, paper if, sword if and... he knows your name, he can write it on his sword in his own blood, mm-hmm. and then he can kill you from anywhere in the world. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, this king who had his name hidden in a box yeah. somewhere, and and I. For, I I think there's something with hiding a name in a box. I don't know. I feel like we've heard that somewhere else, and I feel like that's just something I always put a mentally mental pin yeah, in when I get to it, this part of the book. Because Quoth's name is up hidden in a box. That's what I think. <laughs> absolutely. That's what I think. Somehow. Of course it is. It's absolutely. His name is in that box. Yeah. But anyway. I love some of those details that they that they put out there, and then um, Quoth is able to turn to Chronicler and say, you know, you think you're owed my story. You traipse around the world pulling, I'm air quoting now, the truth from people, from situations, because you think you deserve it, but you don't. Like this story is a gift, so don't push me anymore. Yeah, and uh, he really is able to put him in his place. Absolutely. And then I just love. That he ends, the interlude ends with him saying, I'm sorry, I probably overreacted. I don't deal well with manipulation. I I don't deal well with being manipulated. And it's like, okay, now let's get back into some examples of you attempting to manipulate everybody. Right, and I just loved how the interlude started, opened with both manipulating someone and then it ends with him saying that. So Mm -hmm. that made me chuckle. Are we ready to move on? Yes, please. Chapter 48 is called A Significant Absence, and it refers to the significant absence of information in the archives about the Amir. It does. There's a significant absence of information. So basically, in this chapter, Quoth is sort of kicking around and still looking for information about the Amir. And this is the chapter where it kind of, I think he kind of like really settles on the idea that the Amir are systematically destroying information about themselves. Correct. And we've been talking about that for a while, that we suspected that's what's going on. But this is where Quoth comes to that realization on his own for the first time. And he's talking with Will about it and attempting to convince Will about it. And he goes through what I think is a pretty rock-solid, you know, logical argument for why we believe that's happening. Now... We were already of that belief, so, you know, maybe it's confirmation bias, but Will doesn't buy it at all. Will says, have you been drinking? Yeah. No? (laughs) Well, you should be. You know, and then he talks to Sims, and Sims has a, you know, he's a little more open to the idea, but he's not really on board either. And he says, you know, you should discuss this with Master Lauren. And Quoth says, I didn't. Thank God. Yeah, which shows a little learn something, a little wisdom. But I think it, I, I also feel like that's like a little bit of a um, that's a little bit like Patrick Rothfuss, like elbow in you being like, hey, huh, 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 see, see, you know, because it's like, hey, you should go talk to Master Lauren, the one person who can probably maybe we suspect give you some answers on this, but uh, also you know it'll come with a price, and. You know, Quoth is like, ah, I don't think I'm going to do that. You know, look how close I was to giving you a, a real, a real tasty nugget. But I think my theory's right. I think you just do. 
No, I think if if Quoth had gone to Master Lauren and asked him about that, he'd have, he'd have been banned from the archives again. He found a somehow. way somehow. Yeah, found a reason. Is that gum on your shoe? <laughs> <laughs> Bad. <laughs> so go out, go out behind the archives, and I got two guys who want to meet you. Stab you <laughs> exactly. in the ribs. <laughs> So Remember, that's pretty much all I have. For the greater good. For the greater good. And, you know, they'll kill your ass for the greater good. So I guess what bothers me a little bit is, and God knows, it took me probably reading through these books twice before. Well, I mean, how many times have I read through them? And I just caught on. Other people probably picked it up faster. But I just caught on about Master Lauren probably being one of the Amir, and that's after reading all of this several times so i guess i shouldn't be so frustrated with quoth for not for it not being so obvious well and again as we've talked about it before when you're not when you're when you're in a story all the information is leading you one direction when you're in real life you're inundated with you know so much information that doesn't lead you in one direction it's easy to not always connect the dots and i get that but at the same time i'm like haven't you picked up on the fact that every time you talk about this around Master Lauren, like somehow things go very badly? At the same point like, in time, it's probably every time he talks to Lauren, things probably go badly. You're probably right about that. So let's move on. <laughs> right. All right. So chapter 49 is called The Ignorant Edema. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this chapter. Well, I like Alexa Dahl. I mean, yeah. he's he's a groovy character for sure. So um, in this chapter, Alexa Dahl has lunch with Quoth, and not so subtly suggests that he take a leave of absence from the university. I thought it was super subtle. It took me a... I mean, I didn't get it until... Now, I've said this before. When I read through things the first time, I'm not always looking for answers to things. But when I first read through and I heard the story, I'm like, what the hell is he trying to say? And then, you know, immediately after Elksadal finishes his story... We go to them playing cards, and Minette, Minette spells it out pretty clearly. Yeah, you knucklehead. He's trying to tell you to take a semester off, take a term off. And I, and then I went back and reread it, and then you know, I was able to kind of pull nuggets out of his story, but I definitely didn't get it the first time. Right, and so I, pro- I certainly didn't either. Um, but, you know, so Alex Adal sits him down and tells him a story of a brilliant arcanist who um, in every way is, has got all this great academic knowledge and he's kind of bragging to an Edamaru who's rowing him across the river and uh, bragging to him and putting down the Edamaru for not having all this knowledge. I didn't take it, and this I felt was critical to the story, I didn't take it that he was bragging. I took it that he was so out of his element that he couldn't put himself in somebody else's shoes or culture and so he just couldn't, it didn't even cross his mind that the Edamaru's life wasn't also just like his life. No, that's fair. I think that's fair. So the Arcanist is, is still with a him, jackass. but still towards the end, once he realizes that, oh no, he's not educated, then he's kind of like, how can you not be educated? That's like, your, it's your, it's your duty as a human to better yourself and you should, yeah, absolutely. you should educate yourself, you know, and, and just as he's saying this, a storm comes up. And the Edamaru tells the Arcanist, we're going to have to swim. My boat's about to sink. And the Arcanist says, but I don't know how to swim. <laughs> so that's the story that Alexa Dahl tells Quoth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's his way of saying, yeah, you're a brilliant Arcanist. 
and you're going to do great things, but you need to go learn how to swim because in a lot of ways you're a dumbass. Yeah. Well, and I also took it, I took it specifically to, to mean that you're in over your head. Oh yes. Good phrase. You don't realize you're not a part of the culture around you just as the arcanist was not, you know, didn't know anything about the Edamaru's life and just assumed that what, you know, he saw and thought was reality. So does Quoth. You know, and you can see that in the next little section when he's playing cards with Minette and Will and Sims, and they're all like, no, take a semester off. And, you know, every, you're the, all these things are going to happen. And Quoth is like, no, no, but I but I got off. I was innocent. You're like, no, they're still going to be mad at you. But, but how I was innocent. Like he was just as naive to the perceptions and the reality around him as the arcanist was to the reality of being in a boat on a storm and thinking that reading and writing was important when you really needed to know how to swim. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. So Quoth is, um, talked by his friends and Sim tells him three times, to take a semester off, which I thought that was cute. And um, I'm telling you three times, take a term off. Uh, one quote that I liked that uh, Manette says to him is, quote, you're a clever boy, but you have a world of trouble listening to things you don't want to hear. And that's what it mm-hmm. comes down to. Very true. And, and we even find out that even Ambrose left for a semester. Yeah, and I put in a pin in that because they said Ambrose left two days ago, and that's going to tie into my prediction later. Awesome. So on to chapter 50. Yeah. Which is called Chasing the Wind. So this part was a little, for me, like I'm okay with it. But we find out, so in this chapter, Threp, kind of out of nowhere, has found a possible patron for Quoth in Vint. And so Quoth makes the arrangements to go travel to Vint to meet the mayor, Alvaron, who is a rich important dude Mm -hmm. he is he has need of someone who's good with words to help him with an unnamed task and so for me it's like okay so all this happened quoth has decided to take a semester off and just very conveniently thrap is like oh by the way can i talk you into taking some time off like yeah so that was a little convenient for me but i can go with it well what did i mean I guess I can't really ask you what you thought because you kind of know how this all plays out. So what do you mean? Hmm. I just meant more from a, from a writing and a storytelling standpoint. Oh, it felt a little inorganic to kind of like, okay, just at the perfect time out of nowhere. I have a prediction about that and I don't think, I don't think it's out of nowhere, but I'm going to wait until the prediction time to say it. So anyway, uh, Threp has this wonderful, amazing, too good to be true offer. Um, everything's coming up close in this. He gets to write his own letter of introduction. Always fun. <laughs> um, and then he goes around, and says goodbye to everyone. I really loved the part where he's sees Elodin on the bridge, and they yeah, kind of sit like there for part. a while. Yeah. Um, Elodin has a really good quote where he says, "The figures in our speech are like pictures of names." So I just like collecting those little comments that he makes about naming you know because i think uh quoth says uh master elodin i'm i'm afraid i have to take a leave of absence and he says are you really afraid mm-hmm. quoth is like Ugh. it's like that teacher that you know you say can i go to the bathroom and they say i don't know i don't can know you? can you 
<laughs> He's just like, oh, God. Exactly. No, I liked what Elodin talked about when he talked about the idea of, of edges. Yes. And, and how, you know, risk is what wakes the sleeping mind. And, you know, go take some risks. Yes. Go out and live. Yes, I like that. And I think that's probably been a big part of Quill's problem is that he's so very confident in his abilities, you know, and he's been in a, in a place where he's been very safe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So now I noticed he said goodbye to everybody, but he didn't say goodbye to Ari. That is a very good observation. So I was a little upset about that. And I read when I read through it again, I'm like, did I miss it? Nope. Did he even try? I mean, maybe it just got glossed over, but he he takes enough time to, to talk about saying goodbye to Elk Sadal and goodbye to Kilvin and all these things. And he says nary a word about Ari. So um, one thing that pops into my mind is that if unless I'm mistaken, this is all taking place during the winter. Well, this is... So he specifically says it was when all the snow and the frost was all melting and the first buds of spring were starting to pop out. So we're talking, you know, we're talking early March around here time frame. Because we know that Ori goes underground in the winter and I don't think he expects to see her. He talks about looking for her at one point in a previous chapter, but he knows she doesn't come out in the winter and that she, um, you know, he had gone to try and find her, but the, he the gate to the, the under thing yeah. was locked, so he couldn't get to her. Yeah, and that, and that may very well be. But I, um, I just found it interesting that he did not say goodbye to Ari. Unless I am wrong, I'm pretty sure I'm correct. This is the point where slow regard of silent things starts. I, I think you're right. I was, and I was thinking the same thing. I think this is the the story of when Quilth is gone. What Ori is, Ori is up to? Yeah, I think I think you're right. We'll no, find that's out a later. Good point and and certainly not quite in Quilth's character. However, if it is that he's just used to not seeing her in the winter and doesn't know where she is, yeah. In which case, then it's really not not anything worth remarking on, right? And he still he has a chance to. Um, when when he goes to see Devi, and we haven't quite talked about that part yet, yeah, but she yeah. asks again about the access to the archives, and he's not willing to turn that over to her. Yeah, I certainly don't think as well. Like I don't think Quoth has somehow turned his back on Ari or anything. Like not not at all. I just right. I, I just found it to be a strange oversight, but it may not have been an oversight at all because, as you say, it may it may simply be the winter thing. And it's not as though, I mean, Ari is very much in control of that that whole relationship and those interactions. I mean, I guess he could have sat up on the rooftops and played his lute. True. It sounds like, though, he, and, and now this was self-imposed, but he only had a day. True. To get ready to leave. Yeah, so he didn't have a lot, he didn't have a lot of time. Oh, no, no, no. Did All we miss something? All of this is pointless. Oh, no. I just turned back to page 357. Um, The next day, I made a round of hasty goodbyes to everyone I knew at the university. I received heartfelt handshakes from Willem and Simmon and a cheerful wave from Ari. Ah. All is right with the world. (sighs) I can relax now. (laughs) I feel 12 ounces lighter. (laughs) 
So, so yeah. So he goes, he says goodbye. Much ado about nothing. Much ado about nothing, indeed. Um, if only he, we could edit this so we could take all that rambling crap mm-hmm. out of there. We do not we edit. We do not edit. Much. <laughs> we do not edit. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Onward and upward. Onward and upward. So um, I, well, I, I just thought it was a little interesting, the deal he makes with Debbie and how he goes in there. And, you know, um, he goes in. They seem to have regained their old kind of easygoing back and forth. However, every time he goes into her office, he notices the burned spot on her desk. Yeah. So that's always kind of going to be back there a little bit as a strain on their interactions. Yeah. But he does give her the sympathy lamp as collateral. Yeah. Now he gives it to her with the stipulation that, you know, if he, so he agrees to come back in a year and a day, he gives her some things as collateral, including Dennis ring, which is pretty big. Yeah. Um, and he gives her the sympathy lamp with the stipulation that if he does not come back, she can sell it to Master Kilvin, which would also give him, get him and I mean, that would burn his bridge at the university for sure. It would. Yeah. Um, but she would also be able to regain her money. Um, so I just thought it was interesting that he's willing to part with Dennis Ring and the lamp, which is breaking his promise to Kilvin, rather than just ask Threp to help him Get to yeah. Severin. I mean, like Threp wouldn't wouldn't you know throw ten talents his way. And we we talked about that before about you know him turning down Threp's invitation because he didn't have nice enough clothes rather than yeah. ask to borrow clothes. Yeah. You know, and rather saying to Threp, you know, hey, now I get that Threp can't always be giving him money, yeah. but I feel that this situation is more about Quill's pride. And not well, wanting to ask for things that I think it's I think it's a good point. And actually, I'll be honest, I hadn't picked up on that. But you're right. He'd rather go do all these other things. And like, I guess it I do think it is an issue of pride. You know, I think he would rather make some sort of deal with Debbie, even if it's not necessarily a great one, than ask somebody for you know a donation you know ask somebody for charity uh, yeah yeah i agree with you kind of a dumbass sometimes uh, just you know just prideful i mean just yeah you know so on to chapter 51 yeah chapter 51 in particular is a short one not a lot happens he meets he meets Threp at the boat. Threp gives him a ton of advice. A couple of items which I thought were a little strange. And then he gets on the boat and sails off. So, but the title of the chapter is All Wise Men Fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know when it's got the title of the book in it. The titular line. <laughs> I like when you say titular. <laughs> When it has the titular line, you got to get your little ears perked up. Absolutely, yeah. So um, the line in the in the chapter that caught my eye is, so yeah, Threp is giving him all kinds of advice. And he sa- at one point he says, remember, there are three things all wise men fear. The sea in a storm, the night with no moon, and the anger of a gentle man. Yeah, and I'm reading that. I got my ears perked up because it's the titular line. 
and can't for the life of me think what the well, I imagine it it's it's going to be some foreshadowing, and particularly yeah. the anger of a gentleman part, because well, yeah, Quoth is, you know, that's the, the part gentleman, that's important, obviously. Right. Oh, you think Quoth is the gentleman? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm, okay. I mean, I think for all his ability to be ruthless in ways, at his core, he was always a gentle person. Well, I, I mean, I didn't, I don't doubt that. I just think there's probably other candidates for that. Certainly, there are lots of candidates. Yeah, exactly. So I just, you know, I mean, you may very well be right. You certainly know more about what's going to happen than I do. But it seems strange to tell him, and maybe maybe it isn't, but it seems strange to tell him, hey, look out, because there's, you know, wise men are afraid of people like you getting angry. It just seems. I like, mean, you know. I feel like what Threp's comments are just sort of a. Um, that's just sort of a throwaway. Like he's just kind of babbling incoherently, not incoherently, but he's just kind of babbling at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's a hasty goodbye, and you know, and he's just kind of throwing. He's starting to just sort of throw things at him at this point. But there were two things in there that that perked up my ears. Oh, one tell was me. one was the titular line, <laughs> uh, and I still, you know, I. I know it's important, but I don't quite know what it could mean. You know, so we'll just have to see. Right. The, other, the other one, which I felt was uh, of a similar sort of nature, because if you think about it, most of what he's telling him are practical things. Mm-hmm. Like, call him your grace. Right. It's gambling. Gambling is very, very popular, but he despises it. So don't get caught up in gambling. Right. Find a good tale. Like he's telling him all these practical things, but then he throws in the wise men's fear part. And he throws in this other line where he says that slow thaws lead to great floods. Right. And I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I know what it, what it means in a, in a, literal sense i understand it but what the hell does it mean in the context of this you know it's hard to it's hard to say i don't know i mean i saw it as this is just kind of like a like a polonius and laertes like that scene where he's just kind of like okay you're going off and um do this and don't do that and oh my gosh i can't believe you're going and this is and so what i took from all of this is that Mayor Alvaron is like the real deal, yo. He's like, he's like kind of this upper echelon nobility. He's not like any nobility that we've encountered before. No, he's, yeah. And that Threp is like, Threp, who is. He's a goddamn Lannister. He is. He's, he's the, he's the freaking Tywin Lannister. That's right. Of this sort of universe. And, yeah. uh. I got feelings. You got feelings. I can't wait to hear him. I got feelings. So yeah, that's just kind of what I took from this chapter. This is like, Threp is like a little nervous. He's like, okay. And yeah, and I was like, why does everybody always expect me to act badly? I know. (laughs) I have no idea. No idea. (laughs) Well, that just, again, shows his ignorance, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. Of his own, of his own nature. But, um, I got you that, you know, it's just this sort of, oh, oh, you're, you're going, you're going sort of moment for Threp, but for Patrick Rothfuss, I'm sure those things have some sort of meaning. Probably. They have some sort of tie, and he didn't put that in there for nothing, so. Probably not. Uh, we just, Maybe I you just, just want to hear know. you say titular. It's a good word. <laughs> so the last chapter 
that we're going to talk about today is chapter 52. It's a brief journey. I just wrote, I have three words in my notes for this chapter. I want to hear them. Quoth's boat sinks. <laughs> it was a coat on a boat. Exactly. And that's pretty it much what happened. stuck in a moat. <laughs> I know it by rote. <laughs> and I don't get to vote because I'm a felon, motherfucker. That was really impressive. I'm not really a felon for the record. <laughs> He's not. No. Um, He's not that interesting. I'm also not a rap artist, so <laughs> I don't know if you could tell. Yeah, so so similar to the similar to the trial, he's just sort of like, and here are a list of things that happened to me on the way, but I got there 16 days later. Right. So it's so again, it's like lots of paragraphs of books. And yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and oh, by the way, there were some pirates or some shit like that. Yeah, I don't know. But I got there. But I got there. It was all good. Um, you know, which is interesting in what Patrick Rothfuss chooses to elaborate on and what he chooses to just gloss over, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and again, all those things are thoughtful decisions because you know he's pouring over this, you know, every word is getting scrutiny. So, so if he chooses not to elaborate on it, there's a reason for it. Yeah. But But it was sort of interesting. The only thing that I kind of left here pondering was, you know, it said he got robbed and was penniless on the streets of some town, Junipei. Mm-hmm. Does that mean his loot got stolen? No, I believe it makes it clear in this chapter. It, I, I Let me yeah. look. I didn't <sighs> see anything that said one way or the other. I'm looking at the page right now. Well, you could read the entire chapter in like 30 seconds. It's, right. It's a short ass chapter. Um, it said he was robbed, drowned, and left penniless on the streets of Junpoi. In order to survive, I beg for crust, stole a man's shoes, recited poetry. That last should dis- should demonstrate more than all the rest how truly desperate my situation had become. <laughs> yeah. W- and- it is not like poetry. So, no, it does not say, it doesn't say but- whether he has the loot or not. And my initial thought would be no, because if his loot got st- stolen, he would probably remark on that. But on the other hand, why would he be reciting poetry instead of playing his lute? To I, I don't know, but maybe he was afraid it would get stolen, so he didn't want to bring it out. Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out more, so it's not it's not that critical. I'm assuming the lute didn't get stolen because I'm assuming if it did, he would have said something. How do you do it? How do I do what? How do you not read ahead? Well, first I put it Alar like Ramston steel. Oh, there you go. First, I put a tack in my shoe. <laughs> okay. And then I make sure to only drink tepid water <laughs> for seven straight days. So I, I don't know. I just do. It probably helps because um, I'm like ready. I'm I'm turning the page right now because well, I just kn- have to look at and it. And you, you know what happens. So you have now no. Now I'm ex- stroking the book. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I don't think there's a rating past explicit. Like what you were doing to that book. I'm really excited for you to read this part. Well, I'll get to. I'll get (sighs) to now. Okay. Awesome. So are we done? I think we're done. All right. So time for predictions. Okay. Predict it up. All right. So I, I have one prediction and it feels to me much like chapter 14, where I made this grandiose prediction oh, Lordy. that was absolutely dead wrong. 
so dead wrong. Okay, hold on. I have to put on my impassive face. It's bring, on. Bring yourself into the uh, heart of stone. Yes, I've got it. Sink yourself down. All right. Okay. So Tell me your theory. So here's my theory. Okay. So my theory is essentially that the the mayor Alvaron is acting on behalf of Ambrose and this is a trap. That's my that's my theory. So here's here's kind of where I'm where I'm coming at it from. So it's my now this is fact number 1 and if this fact is wrong then everything else is completely wrong. If I fuck this up then then it's all it's all a mess. Isn't Ambrose from Vint? He is. All right. Check on number one. Okay. So he's from Vint. Okay. He leaves two days before Quoth sits down with Elksadal and Minette. So he would have been back. And then after that, it's probably a span or two before Quoth actually leaves. It's a significant amount of time. I'm not sure what the timing is, actually. It doesn't say precisely, but the next term has started, and he, you know, he's talking about all of his friends are in class, and then he talks about the weather changing. That leads me to believe we're talking about a, a chunk of time, two, three spans. So enough time for Ambrose to find his way back to Vint start talking to a bunch of his buddies, and then get correspondence back to Emre. So the timing is a little bit suspect in that regard. At least, at least it gives Ambrose opportunity. We know Ambrose has motive. We also know that Ambrose likes to operate indirectly through other people. We know he's got a history of using other nobility, like he would in the trial, like he did when he made it impossible for, quote, to get a patron, etc. Then there's the, other, um, there's the other part, which is that Ambrose knows Quoth is looking for a patron because he's the one who stopped him from being able to do it. And then the letter we get from Mayor Alvaron is quite cryptic. Like, Threp thinks that he's looking, like he's looking for a musician, and all he sees is patron, 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 but that's not what the letter says. The letter says he's looking for somebody, you know, very specific for an undisclosed and, you know, rather, you know, somebody who, where discretion's important. He doesn't want to say what it is. It's all very kind of mysterious. The other thing, too, that gets me is that the list of qualities that he's looking for, okay, he's looking like I'm looking for somebody who, you know, can spin a good story. Maybe they're a musician. Like, that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the other qualities that he's looking for. So why would you add that? Either you need a musician or you don't. And, you know, I, I had, like, he's like, oh, and I just, I can't seem to find anybody else around here who's glib of tongue. You're the fucking king of Vint. I can't believe that. I don't fucking buy that at all. So it all seems very, very suspect to me. So maybe I'm just getting highly paranoid, but it looks to me like a trap. 
I like it when you're highly paranoid. It's a trap. <laughs> Any other uh, predictions? No, that's it. All right. That's my only prediction. Okay. Is v- this vent shit is going to go down. It's not good. All right. It's not good. We will find out. We will. All right. So, you want to hear about some listener interactions? Yes, please. We have got all the listener interactions this week. So many good ones. Well, we're talking to some folks about Game of Thrones, right? Because that's been a really exciting start to the season. And you and I have had time to to put together a couple of uh, reaction episodes to the first couple yeah, episodes of the yeah. season so it's been really awesome to touch base with some fellow fans and just like super nerd out about yeah absolutely this and season I, of the show and i'm trying to keep the listener interactions that we talk about kind of relevant to what we're talking about so i'm trying to kind of put the game of thrones interactions into the game of thrones you know bonus episodes that we did and trying to keep the ones that are related to the king killer chronicles in these episodes so kind of trying to split them out but um, that's very organized of you i'm trying i'm doing the best i can (laughs) so somebody who actually came to us as a part of um listening to game of thrones because i guess they haven't read these books is uh juliana kennedy who is the sister of izzy kennedy God, I hope I'm pronouncing their last name correctly. I hope so, too. But she actually followed us as a result of our Game of Thrones episodes. But um, And we had a couple of interactions. She made a comment on the website as well. But one of the things I realized today is that she is actually quite a good illustrator. So, you know, and I looked at some of her artwork on her, on her Twitter and then her website as well. So I'm going to give that information out. So here's a plug for uh, Juliana Kennedy and Twitter at... Uh, Juliana Kennedy, which is spelled J-U-L-I-A-N-A-C-O-N-I-D-I. And also at com is her website. So quite, quite talented, quite gifted. So check her out if you need any illustration work. Maybe if you, I don't know, need a logo, that would be somebody to talk to. All right, another uh, interaction we had was from uh, Daryl Mansell. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who is at Delicious, and that is S-E-E-D-A-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. He is also, I'm not sure if it's a solo, because I haven't had time, I just noticed this, I haven't had time to check it out yet, but he is involved with the Paprika Podcast, that's P-O-P-R-I-K-A Podcast, and he... um, he said he was listening to the second episode, and it is quite egoliant. Nice, right? There you go. We need to bring that word back, you guys. We need it. We need. It's uh, not a real word, so we can't bring it back. We need to bring it out. That's right. We need to make it happen. It's like pussy on the chain wax. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he also asked. He said, "What's up after Wise Man's Fear?" And the answer to that is, we don't know yet. We haven't we haven't decided yet. We got a little we got a little ways to go, but I, I'm happy to continue to bring it up because I'm more than happy to field as many suggestions as people want to put out there for it. Oh, we should do a poll. I think we need. You can only do up to four choices on like a Twitter poll, so I think we need to narrow it down to a few things before we do that. So, uh, yes, anyone listening, give us suggestions. Um, we need, we always need reading suggestions. I am going to make Chad read, um, ready player one while we're on vacation. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So we may talk about that, whether it's in a, a longer book club 
series or just kind of a short one or two episodes where we go over it. Um, definitely. We want to talk about that though. Cause I'm super into that book right now. Yeah. That's going to happen. Like that one's definitely going to happen. I don't, it's a really only a question of when. Yeah. I'm excited for you to read it. It's, it's a really fun book. Yeah. That may be actually what we end up doing right after wise man's fear, especially if we've both already read it. So, so, so after that, what should I make Chad read next? Right. Tell me, give me suggestions. So I got ideas. Do yeah. you tell me? Well, I'd like to. I'd like to read the three novellas that are out for A Song of Ice and Fire, the Duncan. Oh Egg. yeah, those are those would be good. And yeah. I, I mean, obviously, um, a slow regard of silent things. I'd love to get into that too. So we have four novellas out there, plus Ready Player One. Uh, if I'd like to get a date, if we could try and get an idea of what's going on with the Gentleman Bastards. so that's something we need to do a little research in and find out you know where we stand on that because if that's if the third book is you know right around the corner then fourth or fourth book is right around the corner then we can probably go ahead and and get started on that sometime soon but I don't want to start another series if, you know, we're five years from the from the finale. Uh, We're also certainly open to throwing things in about movies. Yeah. um, TV shows, stuff like that. I may bring uh, numerous sisters back on the podcast to talk about numerous things. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited about that one. We'll, We'll see. We got an idea, but I'll we'll hold off on that. Yeah. Um, so what else? All right. So, uh, also we had another interaction from Izzy Kennedy who said she, and and I felt bad about this one. I feel like I led her astray. She said she really liked my tinfoil hat theory about Denna because see episode we're recording 17, but 14 just came out a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. She's like, I really like the tinfoil hat theory about Denna. I'm on board. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Yeah. I just couldn't reply and be like, well, (laughs) don't get your hopes up. (laughs) So we should again, reiterate that, um, in about what, three more weeks, four Mm -hmm. weeks that at some point we are going to, what's the point at which we are going to be, um, current. I think it'll be like August 14th or something like that. Right. So after that, we will be... 14th or 21st, somewhere, one of, one of those weeks, second or third week of August. Right. We won't be three weeks ahead anymore. We'll be recording and releasing the same week. Right. Um, and that will certainly make interactions a lot more fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, because Daryl Mansell, who you know was listening to the second episode, is is so far away from hearing this comment where we bring him up. He's got a long way to go before he realizes he he gets brought up on this. <laughs> All right, so moving on, uh, Kingles, who is at Kingles ten, uh, could also be King Less. I don't know. I haven't decided which one I like better, King Less or Kingles. Um, but he and I went back and forth about casting for Quoth, uh, and then he also liked our comparison of Denna and Quoth to Buffy and Angel. Yes. It's very good comparison. Mm-hmm. So Adam, who is at LFC Adam eighty eight underscore one eight underscore five, uh, enjoy, said that asphalt is a great way to open up a podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. It is. Uh, so a new follower of ours is Elliot Cosm, who is at Buddy Reads Ph uh, with PhD. So it's uh, Buddy Reads W PhD. And he said he is listening to uh, episode 11 now, and it's fantastic. 
Uh, let's see. He also made a comment on our website where he said he agrees with the Dena hate, but he blames the majority on that of that on just how much Quoth pines over her obsessively. Oh, yeah. That is definitely a huge part of why the Dena sections of this book are so annoying. Yeah. Again, we hate Dena, but sometimes we hate Dena for things that are beyond her control. Well, everything is beyond her control. She's a fictional character, but... I just got schooled. I I meant to say that nicer. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and one more, I think... um, Kingles had a question for us to address yeah, was, on this issue. Oh, okay. I'm I'm jumping way ahead. Going to get to that. Jumping Th- way a, ahead. There's a process here. There's yeah, a go, process. I here. respect your process. Okay. So Elliot also has a YouTube channel called Buddy Reads, mm-hmm. and um, you can just go to YouTube and search Buddy Reads, and you'll find it. It's it's pretty obvious. And he is also covering the wise man's fear in his oh, YouTube cool. reviews as well. So. Neat. So he is so right. So like, where is he at? Uh, I think the last one was chapter 10 that he's on. So he's a little behind behind where we are now. But by cool. the time this comes out, you know, it'll probably be chapter 25 or something like that. Right. Um, so, the, yeah, that was it. And then one last one before we get into the questions. And that is Rodney, who's at Tatted Code Monkey, T-A-T-T-D, Code Monkey. Uh, and he, we, he and I got no conversation about the show The O.A., Oh, that was a good one. Oh, yeah. And he said he was that the show was really creeping him out, though he couldn't quite put his finger on why it was. That was it. But man, I love that show. That was a good show. I'm glad it's coming back. Oh, I haven't even really thought about season two. Yeah. So we got that and uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic How Detective that Agency. Back? I felt like it kind of, I, I kind of assumed there wouldn't be a second season of that. It's renewed. Mm, wow. Yeah. We had to find out, you know. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, don't say anything. Because I felt like that ending was pretty. People might want to watch it. Like I didn't. Don't I felt, spoil it. No, I'm not going to spoil it. But right. I just felt like it really wrapped everything up. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot to get into. Oh, anyway, so I, I'm I'm not going to complain because I love that show. It's probably my favorite new show. Really? Yeah, I loved Interesting. it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, yeah, we have that coming back and Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Love Dirk Gently. Which we both loved as well. Yeah, that, Very that different I, show. Um, but if you like Douglas Adams or Hitchhiker's um, Guide to the Galaxy, check that one out. Yeah, I enjoyed that show. Those, those two of my favorites. All right. And then, so I put out a tweet today, and this is related to what you said. So, a few hours before we decided to, to podcast, I put out there, I said, hey, we're about three hours from podcasting. Let us know if you have any questions. And uh, Kingles actually came up and he said, are you as disappointed as I am about Chapter 52 that it just brushes over what sounds like are some exciting details? And I had to think about it. And I decided that my answer is no, I'm not disappointed. Because I agree with his point that it sounds like it was probably some exciting stuff. But ultimately, if it doesn't get us any closer to figuring out who the penitent king is and figuring out what's going on with the Amir, then I'm probably glad that we just glossed over it. Um, it's hard for me to answer that question without giving away stuff later on. So don't. Oh, well, I won't give anything away. <laughs> oh, did you mean to say that nicer? I meant to say that nicer. <laughs> It's, it was my um, it was my RBT. 
my resting bitch tone. Your resting bitch tone. <laughs> Sometimes my resting bitch tone just betrays me. It comes out. I know. It's I mean, okay. <laughs> oh. Usually yours is in the morning, though. Yeah. And mine is in the evening. <laughs> well, we're almost at morning. It's true. Chad is rubbish before 9 a.m. <laughs> and I am rubbish after 9 p.m. So so we got 12 hours to make this marriage 12 work. 12 hours. <laughs> Listen, Flash. We've only got 14 oh, hours to save the earth. <laughs> Flash, I love you. But we've only got 14 hours to save the earth. <laughs> You're so dead. Flash. Ah. <laughs> All right. Um, he also agrees with me about Hannah Murray making a good Ari. Okay, yeah. I love Hannah Murray. Uh, also, he recommended a book for us to check out. Oh, yeah. So I'm, ha- I'm sending this your way. Shadow of the Wind. Yes, and I'm definitely, I have that on my um, Kindle to be read um, on vacation this year. That's I'm really looking forward to that. But back to the question, I will say. Sorry, sorry. Without giving anything away, yes. <laughs> you know what? You answered the question. I And I will go. Next episode, I will explain more. It cannot be denied. Come back next week for the rest of that answer. Right, exactly. Which, you know, this is going to be a little bit strange. This is an angle we haven't talked about, but because of the way this is going to work out for us, we are going to, for the the people who are listening, it's going to be, you know, a normal, seamless, one-week podcast, uh, wait for the podcast. But for us, it's going to be like three weeks. Like a bowl of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. <laughs> it's gonna be very timey wimey around here. I'm gonna when we come back for episode eighteen, I'm gonna be very confused. <laughs> <laughs> very confused. All right, so do we have anything else? Nope. It's fantastic. You know what that means? It's time to say good oh. If what? you like us, you need to give us a review. And if you really don't like us, then you really need to give us a review. But no matter what, tell people. You guys, he's pointing really emphatically right now. (laughs) I I don't know why I'm pointing it at you. I don't know either. (laughs) You know, damn it, Liz, tell somebody. (laughs) All right, so tell your friends. And and uh, the word of mouth is the most important thing for us. My friends are sick about hearing about this. Podcast. I know, right? <laughs> They're tired of it. They're tired of it. All right, we love you all. We're going on vacation, but there will still be episodes because that's how much we love you. And timey wimey stuff. Good night. We need to stop talking. I'm sorry. Right? Good night. Just just end it. End it now. Good night. Just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straightening the curves Yeah Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will Making their way The only way they know how That's just